Well, greetings to each one of you in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. It's a blessing to be here uh, again. Uh, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I want to finish out this chapter. It's a lengthy portion. Um, I've been here in this in this chapter for a bit. Um, last time we were here, we were in uh, verses 31 through 35, a very familiar passage where Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, uh, as I've said uh, many times and since we've began this exposition of this gospel is that this gospel is largely interested in uh, developing the identity of the Son of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we see here in verses 37 through the end of the chapter, that's where we'll be spending time today, verse 37 and following, we see here what I would like to title a case of mistaken identity. Uh, I think we are familiar with that term. It's largely used, you know, uh, in our criminal justice system possibly where people are falsely, um, maybe, they're, maybe they're misidentified or they're, um, they're convicted of a crime that maybe they haven't done. But here, in this passage, we see actually, we see two cases of mistaken identity. So let's read, it'll be a, a lengthy reading, and uh, I would like to um, read through the end of the chapter, and if you would follow from verses 37. John eight thirty-seven. The words of Christ himself. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself. But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But I tell the truth, you do not believe me. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Who is dead and the prophets are dead, who do you make yourself out to be? 
Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not know, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, interestingly here, uh, as we've been going through the last uh, number of chapters here, especially beginning in about chapter 5 at the... At the uh, healing of the man by the pool there's just been animosity building and there's been uh, primarily it has been animosity by the religious uh, authorities of the day and we just see we just keep coming back to this theme again and again and again and as we look at the the last half of this chapter um, we see a classic of, of what religion tends to do, what dead religion tends to do, and that is they misidentify themselves and they misidentify God. They, they inevitably lift up themselves and they lower their understanding of Almighty God. That is a classic of how uh, dead religion tends to do. Uh, it is the employment of man... It is, a, it is a lifting up and a glorying of the abilities of man versus the understanding and the uh, abilities and even the work of Almighty God through Christ. And it, that's a classic of how dead religion tends to work. And we see that here. It's an elevation of themselves. We are Abraham's descendants. We, we belong to the family of God because we have a lineage. We have, a, we have a relationship with a historic work of God. Isn't that often what we see? Is that there may be a work of God and we align ourselves to it. Maybe our fathers, may, maybe our fathers were this or that or the other. Maybe even, maybe, maybe it is this thing of where we think that we are in the family of God because God was moving in our parents. And we have this saying that God has no grandchildren. And in a sense, that's what we see here in this passage. Um, so as we consider this text, I would like to read the apostolic commentary on this passage. If you would go back to 1 John chapter 3, and we have the same author here. I'd like to simply read verses 1 through 10. Remember, 1 John is largely written as a way to examine ourselves. It is a way to evaluate whether we are in the faith or not. There are multiple tests through the book of 1 John that, you know, um, that help us to evaluate where we are. And really, this passage in John 8, verses 37 through 59, is given to us that we should also evaluate ourselves here. Where are we here? Who are we in John 8? And so, let's read in 1 John chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 1. And we'll read through verse 10. And just, just see the correlation here between what the Apostle John was sharing and writing in the Gospel of John and now what he is writing in the Epistle of John. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And indeed, the, the word is, behold, consider, check this out. You know, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be in the kingdom of God, we should be known as children of God, that we should be 
called as such children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And this is, this is a, a, a good word for us today is that right now we are children of God or we're not. This is not talking about some future understanding of, of our um, inheritance. It is, he says, beloved, now we are children of God. We're either now children of God or we're not children of God right now. There's only these two camps, only these two designations. So now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. And that's often why we struggle with our identity is we haven't fully come into the realization of who we are. And so we misidentify one another. That is, you know, because it's not yet fully revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Notice here in the first three verses how the children of God are all about um, identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when He comes, we shall see Him as He is and we shall be like Him. And this hope has its work in us in purification. See, it's, it's us identifying with Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Verse 3 verses. Quite the opposite of what the children, what the Jews, what the uh, so-called children of God were doing in John 8. Verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He, that is Christ, was manifested to take, to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Now why was He manifested? Why was He incarnate? He was revealed to the world to take away our sin. He came because of sin, on account of sin. God condemns sin in the, in the flesh of Christ, and Christ died for our sin. Romans 8. Whoever abides in Him, and, and let me clarify, there was no sin in Christ. It was simply imputed to Him. And so Christ, so the Father dealt with the Son as if He were dealing with us. So here He says, He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, I think we have to understand here that this abiding is where we live. I, I have seen this in my, in my own life, where if we, if we stumble into sin, what is our reaction to that sin? Do we agree with, uh, with the law of God that it is sin? as Romans 7, that we agree with, you know, we recognize sin and we, we condemn sin in us. We agree that it is wrong. We agree that it is sinful. But here, and, and that, is, that is, I think, is the mark of, di of distinction between the children of God and, those, and the children of the world, is that whoever abides in Him does not sin. He does not desire to live there in sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him, or whoever abides in that practice of sin. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. But he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, there you have it again. The reason that he was incarnate, the reason he came to this earth was that he might engage 
the enemy, that he might engage and destroy the very works of the devil. So whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And this, this uh, whoever has been born of God does not sin because his seed, the seed of God, remains in him. And he cannot sin, which is that he cannot, he cannot just be unchanged. If he's born of God, he, is, he has a new nature. His, the very um, seed of God, that, that which is from God, is in him and remains in him. And he cannot abide in sin. He cannot just continue wholeheartedly onward in sin. Why? Because he has been born of God. And so we, we have this, this, this issue of our identity is largely defined by our relationship to sin and our relationship to Christ. You see. Notice what he says in verse 10 of, John, of 1 John 3. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, or it's exposed, or it's revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And so here we have, in this the children of God and the children of the devil, these two classes of people, these two um, Natures, these two lineages, we might say, these two descendants, this, the, this whole lineage, this tree, this, this family tree, which tree are we a part of and which tree, yes, which are we a part of? The children of God, the tree of God, or the tree of the devil? Which family tree are we? And he says, here it is manifested, it is defined, it is determined by whoever practices in certain way. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. He's not of the family tree of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. So we have these two characteristics that are the primary characteristics, according to John here in, in this epistle, of those who are children of God. And yes, of those who are children of God. It is that they, they have an inherent desire to live righteously. And by inherent, is it's because it means they, they, that is their first inclination is to live in a different manner from their old nature, is to practice righteousness. And then the other one is to love our brothers. Now, I, w- I want to say here that these are characteristics. These are not learned traits. And by that, I mean that we can grow in our love of the brethren, and we can grow in our pursuit of righteousness, but they are not a developed... They are not ours because we developed them. They are ours because we were, we were inherently... They are, they are inherently given to us by the inception of the seed of God. That is who we became when we became born again. They are not developed in the sense that we can get them by working. But we can develop our love for the brother. We can develop our pursuit of righteousness after we are that, after we are children of God. And there's a, there's a clear these things, this, this distinction needs to be made because I think the, the Jews were kind of there. They thought that they could be simply uh, in the family of God by being of the lineage of Abraham, that it was just passed down to them. And so we have to, we have to consider what is our identity, children of God or children of the devil and you know Jesus just simply didn't mince words did he we would we would just simply not feel comfortable calling somebody a child of the devil Uh, and and we we should not 
But listen, if someone abides in the pursuit of those things that are characteristic of the devil, then that's the distinction we must arrive at. And for Christ to say these things, just, you are of your father, the devil, and of his works you desire to do. And Brother uh, Chris, when he shared there in, uh, in Acts 5 this morning, I was just struck. Let me, you don't have to turn to it. I, I want to just point out a few things out of that very passage because it's fresh in our minds. It says in verse 17 where, where Brother Chris began in Acts 5, that the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They were, that my center column says they were filled with jealousy. Because here were somebody rising up and they were, and the common people were flowing, were, you know, were running to them. And it created a tension. It created a, you know, they, they felt insecure because the high priest, remember, he was, you know, he was this, this big guy. And it says they were filled with jealousy and they laid their hand on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And then if you come down to verse 26, the captains went with the officers and brought them in without violence for they feared the people. That is another mark of of dead religion is that it fears what other people think and it fears people. It It is based on fear. And then we also have, in contrast to that, Peter and the, and the other apostles answered in verse 29 and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered. And when, they, when, he pointed, when it became so pointed, like Jesus in John 8, when Peter became so pointed in Acts 5, where he says, You murdered him by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand. To give as prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are also his witnesses and the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, what does it say? When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill him. You see, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to these people. In John 8, he says, You he says, look, in the very first verse of our text, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you desire to kill me. And then he goes, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And they proved his case. I mean, they proved his case when Christ indicted them for this. You desire to kill me. You are like your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. You want to do the works that he does. And the reason you want to is because you are his lineage. You're in his family tree. And then Christ tells them. He proves it to them at the end of John chapter 8 where they were looking for rocks. They took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. And so, I want to just point out a few things from, again, from the epistle of 1 John. We have this issue between those who are of the family tree of God and those who are of the devil. We have those who are of the devil who say they profess but are not and so notice what first john if you we just if we just flip through first john and second john or first john one and two in verse eight of first john it says if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves he says again if we say in verse 10 that we have not sinned we make him a liar we make god a liar Verse 3 of John 2, 1 John 2. He who says, you see, we have this idea of someone who is aligning themselves with the kingdom of God, with the people of God, the children of God, and, and they are doing it by their words. 
He who says, I know him and does not keep, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. Verse 9, he who says, you see, we have this over and over here. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And so it's this idea of mistaken identity. We, we, we have to have a criteria of how to discern where we are, you see. And not only where we are, but we also evaluate one another. We, we are to, we're called to judge righteous judgment. He who says, you see, we have that all through there in 1 John. And then we have it also in 1 John 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And again, these are characteristics of those who are born of God. Have, you, have we not, I, I, I trust I'm speaking, and I know I'm speaking, to many of you who, are, who have been born again. You have, you have that, have you not experienced that change in your life, that change in your heart towards your brothers and sisters? I know I have. That it was, it was not something I was scraping together and trying to drum up. It was just a love that it was inherently, all of a sudden, it was mine. But it wasn't mine. It was given to me. To love my brothers and sisters. To, to care about them. To, to um, serve them. To minister to them because of a love that was put in there. Because I was born of God who is love, you see. And so we have the Jews here declaring that we are of our father Abraham, and Jesus agrees with them. I know that you are the descendants of Abraham, but if you were the spiritual descendants of Abraham, you would not behave as you are, you see. And then again, in, the, in 1 John, he says, Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth, you see. Because that is where the rubber meets the road. That is how uh, these characteristics are revealed. is by action, not by profession. Yes, we do confess with our mouth. But if it's just that, you see, if it's just that, if it's not lived out, and that I think is what, what uh, Jesus is accusing or indicting, these Jews for and let's just let's just consider here in uh, in our text in John 8 how Jesus indicts them as being as their father is the devil and he tells them that his of his and the desires in verse 44 the desires of your father you want to do And truly, that is what happened at the end of this chapter. And later, that's what happened at his crucifixion. So the Jews equated physical lineage to Abraham with being in the family of God. And interestingly, Jesus shows them here, that they do not share the characteristics of Abraham. Verses 37 through 40. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, verse 37, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And in verse 39, he says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Or you would, your, the characteristics of a spiritual nature would come out in you, but now you seek to kill me, verse 40, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. 
What did Abraham do when he heard the word of God? What did he do? The characteristic of one who is born of God is that he hears the word of God and he believes. Abraham heard the word of God and believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And I think what, uh, what Christ is teaching these people here in this latter portion of John 8 is that identity is demonstrated by characteristics. And that certain characteristics... What are some of these characteristics of Abraham? Yes, and I already mentioned them. That is that when Abraham heard, he believed. And he acted on that. And it was... It was revealed, the characteristics here in our text are revealed by our response to the Word of God. I think, I think that is something that, that really needs to be pointed out here, is that in either case, whether they were born of God or were true spiritual descendants of Abraham, or whether they were, they were of their father the devil, it was defined by their relationship to the Word of God. He makes this claim continually, and he says, um, I speak what I have seen from my father, and you do what you have seen from your father. Actually, the verse before that, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. That was not what Abraham experienced. He says again, why do you not understand my speech in verse 43? Because you're not able to listen to my doctrine, my teaching, or my word. You're not understanding what I am saying to you because my, the doctrine of God has no place in you. There's no, there was no love of the truth given to you because you're not able to listen to my word. And he, he, he defines their relationship to their father, the devil, in two ways. One is they desire to kill, as we see later. And they also are more willing to receive, they're more willing to, to hear a lie than they are to hear the truth. He was a murderer from the beginning, in verse 44, speaking of the devil and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, Christ says, you do not believe me. And so there was no love of the truth there. They were actually looking for alternative understanding, an alternative explanation for, for the they were looking for alternative explanations for his miracles. And they ascribed it, literally, to demons. You know, that is, the untruth is harder to swallow. It is, more, it is, it is illogical. You know, you have to look for un, you know you have to look for reasons to believe it. Where they ascribed his, as we see here, don't we rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They were very interested in denying the authenticity of his claims and they were very willing to embrace other alternative and, and this is a this is also a characteristic of dead religion it denies the truth of scripture but it is very willing to be um, swayed by every wind of doctrine we're, we're quick to embrace alternative explanations and understandings and interpretations as children of our of, as children of the devil that is that is their nature because their nature is to be against the truth
But I would like to just point out what Galatians 3 says about... Um, we, we have it in Romans 4, but we also have it in Galatians 3. And this explains, again, it's a bit of a, an apostolic commentary on this. But in Galatians 3, we read in verses 6 through 9... Uh, Galatians 3, 6 through 9. This is Paul's indictment to the Galatians about why are you going back to the law? Why are you wanting to perfect yourselves with, the, with an adherence to the law and you, you, you want to bring in circumcision again? You want to uh, you know, bring the works of the law in uh, into the Christian faith. And Paul says that he withstood him and did not give them even an hour's... Uh, he did not yield submission even for an hour to this, to this idea that we are perfected. And so he says, perfected by the works of the law. Though He says in verse 5 of chapter 3, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know. And this is, this is the important thing about knowing what, what is going on in John 8, is that therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, if in you all the nations shall be blessed. And that includes that anyone, it, so, so the law that God had given them at Mount Sinai largely defined the nation of Israel. It largely defined and separated the people of God, the chosen people of God from the world was the word that God had given them. But they did not believe that. And here, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So the gospel, the gospel is the good news that by faith the, the work of Christ can be applied to all nations now. And that it is through the believing of the gospel that we can all now, Gentiles included, be, belong to the family of God. That it is through the through faith that we move from the family tree of Satan to the family tree of God. And that is the gospel that was preached to Abraham when, he, when God said to him, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You know, I, I find it interesting that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham when he, when he gave him this promise that in you all the nations of the world. That is the gospel. That is that in Christ you can, that we, we find that through faith in Christ we find ourselves in the family of God. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And you see how that plays out back in John 8. Is the Jews denied when when. when when Jesus aligned himself with Jehovah God, and when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they understood that he was saying, I am God. They understood that. And they reached for rocks. Their, their unbelief proved that they were not the children of Abraham. They were not the children of Abraham. Verse 14 says, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That is the glorious news of the gospel, that the Gentiles might be children of Abraham through faith in Christ. This is what the Jews did not understand. They embraced their lineage to Abraham as and 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 missed the significance of the shadow. They, 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 they did not understand that the law was pointing to Christ, that law giver, that law keeper. That in, 
by faith in Christ Jesus, all those outside who were dogs, outside of the, the children of Israel's parameters, they, if they believed in Jesus Christ, they had the promise that was given to them through the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 26 through 29 of, John, of Galatians 3. Notice what he says in verse 26, Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does that mean? That's not speaking of water baptism. That is speaking about being spiritually immersed in regeneration by the Spirit of God, where you are brought into the family of God by being put into Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, as many of you as were submerged or immersed into Christ or joined to Christ, have put on Christ, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek now. There's neither slave nor free. You can be a Jew, you can be a Greek, you can be free, you can be a slave, you can be a male or a female. For we are all one. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, you see. And all the promises that were given to Abraham are yours. That is the gospel that was preached to Abraham. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, how, how does this translate? We're, we're not Jews. We are not... We're not of that... Um, we are not defined by the Jewish law. We're Gentiles by nature. How does this truth translate to us today? Well, first of all, it is the same truth that, ident- that, that identified the Jews. In John 8, as being of their father, the devil, that, that was defined by their relationship to the word of God. We still, we still are defined by that. The, the family of God is defined by how they relate to God's word. When God speaks, how do we act? That's, that's still the measurement of, of, that's still that standard of measurement. Are we demonstrating the characteristics of the of the of God versus the characteristics of the devil. Truly, I believe that is how we would bring this passage to bear on us today. Is that when God speaks, do we hear? When God speaks, do we understand? Notice what he says in verse 45 through 47. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? There, you know, think about that. No one, no one could say that except the very Son of God. Can any of you, he says, lay a charge to my character? Any of you? Who of you, which one of you can convict me of sin? The words of Christ, no other than the Son of God could say that because we are all encompassed about with this problem of sin. And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? You see, they they had nothing that they could charge to him. Why would they not believe him? But he says, he who is of God hears God's words. 
Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. And notice what he is saying there. He is saying that the words that I'm speaking are God's words. The very words that came forth from the, from the mouth of Christ were God's words. And you are not hearing, he says. And I believe this is still that characteristic of the family of God versus the family of of the devil is that when the word of God comes to us, what is our response? What is our attitude toward it? What is it? Can we identify ourselves here in this passage? Do we find ourselves here in animosity to Christ or in a love for the brethren? Truly, truly, they, he says to them, I honor my father, but you dishonor me. He just did not mince words to them, did he? Two cases of mistaken identity here. Again, they mistook Christ as someone other than he was. They mistook him and said he is not the Son of God. And then they mistook themselves. They, they, they did not understand their own identity as slaves of sin. Remember from the previous message, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. They did not identify themselves as a slave of sin. They were not born of fornication. They had one father, God. If God were your father, he said, you would love me, you see. Mistaken identity. What are the implications here of mistaken identity? Well, I would like to say, I I looked up this account. There was this, in 1985, Ronald Cotton was identified as the perpetrator of a crime that he didn't commit. He was in a lineup, and the victim identified him out of a lineup and said, that's the man. He was convicted and sentenced to 50 years, uh, to life plus 50 years. All his appeals were of no avail, and he went to prison. All because of a case of mistaken identity. An eyewitness mistook him for somebody that closely resembled him. Resembled him, but it was not him. Ten and a half years into his sentence, DNA testing exonerated Ronald Cotton and said that he was not the perpetrator of the crime. And we think, what an injustice. And it is a huge injustice to Ronald Cotton. And the implications for that were for this life. It had huge implications for his life here. And and I simply point this out that because he resembled the perpetrator doesn't mean that he was the perpetrator. And just because somebody resembles a child of God doesn't mean he is one. We misidentify. And just as the deeds of Ronald Cotton versus the perpetrator, they were different deeds. One was a crime, the other was not. Just as these deeds are characteristic of who we are, the implications are for eternity. A case of mistaken identity today has eternal implications for us. 
let's seriously consider whether we are in the faith or not. Whether we are a child of God or not. Because DNA testing exonerated Ronald Cotton and endeavored to recompense him. He got $110,000 for his incarceration. But a case of mistaken identity in eternity is irredeemable. It is beyond exoneration. Actually, that's not what punishment is about. It's not to exonerate you. It's to torment you. And so, as we look at John 8, what is our attitude toward the very Son of God, toward the truth, toward the Word of God as it comes to us? It is meant to identify. It's meant for us to take the Word of God and evaluate well, what is my attitude toward Jesus Christ? Or what is, is my behavior still in line with my first nature? If Christ were here, what would he say? You are of your father, the devil? Or would he say, well done? Because there's only really only two classes of people. And today, as John said in 1 John, we are now the children of God or we're not, you see. And uh, so let's, let's consider this and let's, let's simply take John 8 here and, and, and measure it up against our life, lay our lives down. What is our attitude toward the Word of God? Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we consider this passage Lord, as we recognize that there was never a case of mistaken identity from your perspective, but it is from our perspective that we do not judge righteous judgment. We evaluate ourselves wrongly. We evaluate Christ wrongly. Father, I pray that you would help us. You would open it to us, that your spirit would come in and that we would be born of your Spirit, that your Spirit would continually strive with us, that it would work in us, and that your seed would remain in us, that we would not sin. Father, I ask your blessing on these words. I ask your blessing on this passage of Scripture that you would plow it into our hearts, and that you would make it real to us, and that we could comprehend what your Son was saying to the Jews here and by uh, extension to us. Father, we bless you. We praise you. We ask your blessing and keeping for us this week, as we go through this, this week, that you would bless the church. You would keep us and raise us up for your glory and purpose through Christ. Amen.